Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 16 of Genesis chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 15. And Jehovah said unto him, Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And Jehovah set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of Jehovah and dwelt in a land of Nod on the east of Eden. Okay, we're continuing to look at verse 15 and the last part of the verse which says, And Jehovah set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. The Hebrew word translated as mark is um, number 226 in Strong's Concordance, and it's also translated as sign, token, and miracle. It, it's actually uh, often translated those three ways and, and not as mark. This same word is found in Genesis 17 and verse 11. It says, And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. The word token is this word mark. Also in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 22, Because all those men which have seen my glory... And my miracles, the word miracles is the same word, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tend to be now these ten times and have not hearkened to my voice. So God is referring to the plagues he brought upon Egypt and to the miraculous events of raining down manna from heaven, bringing water out of a rock and, and so forth, that he performed the miracles he performed in the wilderness. It's this word. It's this word that is translated as mark. And Jehovah set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. Now, we can see why the translators did not translate it as miracle. It it wouldn't make any sense that Jehovah set a miracle upon Cain and also a token um, a, a token of what? And, and, and so they, uh, were sort of perplexed a little bit. Well, how do we translate this particular word? Well, it's also translated as sign in Deuteronomy chapter 28. In Deuteronomy 28 and in verse, uh, 45 and 46. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon thee, and shall pursue thee, and overtake thee, till thou be destroyed, because thou hearkenest not unto the voice of Jehovah thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded thee. And they shall be upon thee for a sign and for a wonder, and upon thy seed forever. And verse 46, the word sign. 
is our word. Well, what does that mean? They shall be upon thee for a sign. What will be upon upon them? And who's God talking to? Well, God is speaking to Israel. And Deuteronomy 28 is a chapter um, for the first part, about 14, 15 verses. God speaks of the blessings of obedience. And then following uh, from about verse 15 through the end of the chapter, he describes the curses that come upon the disobedient. And and so he's speaking to his people. It would have application to unsaved people in general, but especially the people of God. The All these curses shall come upon thee, pursue thee, and overtake thee till thou be destroyed. And then verse 46, they, the curses, shall be upon thee for a sign and for a wonder. The curses that come upon the disobedient, the rebellious, the the ones that fail to hearken to the commandments of God are a sign. They're a sign. And when we we read it, it uh, we won't take the time to read the chapter, but when you do read some of the curses, we can see how it would fit or apply to Cain. Uh, for instance, it says in verse 38 of Deuteronomy 28, Thou shalt carry much seed out into the field, and shalt gather but little in, for the locust shall consume it. Thou shalt plant vineyards and dress them, but shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. Thou shalt have olive trees throughout all thy coasts, but thou shalt not anoint thyself with the oil, for thine olive shall cast his fruit. And, and so forth. There are other similar verses where the curse of God is upon the harvest. It's upon the fruit. And when we go back to Genesis chapter 4, remember what God said to Cain in verse 11. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which has opened her mouth, to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength, a fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. So God cursed Cain, he cursed the ground, and he pronounced the curse concerning the strength of the ground, or the fruitfulness of the ground. And we spent some time looking at that. So understanding that, especially that Cain is a type and a picture of those that have relationship to God, like Israel of old, and the New Testament corporate church, they have a relationship wherein they're bound to be obedient. And so Cain and Abel had relationship to God. That's why God was requiring offerings from them. And yet God made it known that Cain's offering was not acceptable. And also that Cain himself was not acceptable because he did not have the truly acceptable sacrifice, which is a broken and contrite heart, the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now here, when we're told Jehovah set a, a sign upon Cain, signs the better translation, lest any finding him should kill him. 
What's the sign? As it said in Deuteronomy 28, 45 and 46, they, the curses, shall be a sign and a wonder. The curse is the sign. It is the sign that Cain bears to those that go in the way of Cain. And and again, when uh, God speaks of Cain in the little epistle of Jude, he warns those that would go after Cain in Jude verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. And, and so they likewise will experience the curse of Cain. There will be no fruit. There will be no salvation in um, Jude itself. After God speaks or pronounces the woe against them who have gone in the way of Cain, it says in the very next verse, verse 12, These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. So here the Lord joins together, he ties together, being without fruit, fruit that withers, it's no good, and that's the curse upon Cain. And if you have gone in the way of Cain, you will likewise experience the similar curse. That's the mark that the Lord has placed upon him. Okay, let's go on to verse 16 of Genesis 4. And Cain went out from the presence of Jehovah. Now that is a significant statement that Cain went out from the presence of Jehovah. Remember, after Adam and Eve sinned, we read back in Genesis chapter 3, it said in uh, verse 7, the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of Jehovah God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Jehovah God amongst the trees of the garden. From the presence of God. That is the position, it's the condition of the natural-minded man, of the sinner, of the one dead in sins under the wrath of God. Their sin has separated them from God. And and so Cain went out from the presence of Jehovah because he's under the wrath of God. This is the way of Cain, the way of all the wicked of the earth. They they go from the presence of the Lord. And eventually it becomes their eternal condition. As God says in Second Thessalonians, in chapter 1, in describing the coming of the Lord Jesus to, uh, to bring the final judgment of mankind, it says in Second um, Thessalonians 1, beginning in verse 7, And to you who are troubled, rest with us, 
when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. The the punishment of man is to be destroyed and then to uh, be established in uh, a condition that will never change. It's an eternal punishment, an eternal separation from God, from the presence of the Lord. God exists. He's the great I am. And all of his elect will exist, live together with him forever into eternity future. But from that everlasting life, the presence of God will be the wicked because they will be annihilated and utterly destroyed and they will no longer exist in any form, not in body, not in soul, not uh, the dust of their body, not in any way they will be removed from God's presence. And, and that is punishment when you when you go forth from the presence of the Lord. And that's uh, what's in, in view here. And it, it would also be what's in view in Matthew 25, when the Lord Jesus separates the sheep and the goats. And speaking to the goats, he says in Matthew 25, in verse 41, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And and then the reason is given, why? Why are we sent away? And then Christ says, because uh, he was hungry and, and was given no meat and thirsty, given no drink and stranger and, and not taken in and so forth, indicating the love that should have been shown from brother to brother, that the the wicked, the cursed, failed to show. And then finally, after giving full explanation, it says in verse 45, Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Now it doesn't say it here, but it did say it. In Second Thessalonians, Second um, Thessalonians chapter one, everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, and and so here these shall go away into everlasting punishment, and we could add, based on the information gained from Second Thessalonians one, everlasting punishment from the presence of the Lord, and and so we see they went away, they just like Cain went out from the presence of Jehovah and uh, and that uh, movement of Cain and the language that God uses to describe it is picturing a person that's under his wrath. And then it, it says in the next part of the verse, and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Well, what what uh, is the land of Nod? Well, um, 
were were not helped too much because um the only place this this name nod is found is right here there's there's not another verse in the bible uh where we find or read about the land of nod but when we look at the word itself it is number 5113 in the concordance and it's from 5112 and and 5112 is a word translated only one time as wandering wandering and and 5112 is in turn derived or related to 5110 and that's the word vagabond vagabond that was used um in verse 12 a fugitive and a vagabond shalt thou be in the earth. And repeated in verse 14, as Cain says, I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth. And and the word fugitive means to wander. And vagabond also um, has that kind of idea. And, and, and so this land that Cain dwelt in, the land of Nod, could be understood to be the land of wandering or the land of wanderers. It's um, basically um, for the land of those that are not blessed by God, that, that are cursed by God. It's the, it's the land of the wicked. It, it's the land of the ones that are outside the kingdom of heaven. And, and that's also why it says, and dwelt in the land of Nod, on the east of Eden. And we spoke of this when we were looking at the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was a representation of the kingdom of heaven. And God drove Adam out of the garden because of, of sin. And well, we, we talked about that. And now Cain is going out from the presence of Jehovah to dwell in a land of wanderers or wanderers on the east of Eden. Uh, so he uh, is outside of Eden himself. He's outside of the kingdom of God. And we can also gather that, that even though Cain has been cursed by God and, and God has set a sign upon him with the curse placed on him, and he has been uh, driven out from the face of God and from the blessing of the ground, where he'll no longer be fruitful. Yet Cain is the one who has chosen where to live, where he wants to live. There's nothing here that says that God is forcing him to live in this land east of Eden, but but it's by Cain's choice. And and we can see that as Cain is not going too far away from what we can read here, he, he's going east of Eden, and east is a direction in the Bible that identifies with the kingdom of heaven. And and he's uh setting up his house, he, he's going to begin living in fairly close proximity 
to the kingdom of God. And, and so from this, um, we, we can see that just as the churches, which have been cast out, they, they are cast out and under the wrath of God, yet they still desire to maintain identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. And every church wants to be called a Christian church. So uh, here the churches and congregations of the world have been cursed by God. They are no longer fruitful. There is no salvation taking place within any congregation. But in a sense, they have set themselves on the east of Eden, the east of the kingdom of heaven, by continuing to call themselves by God's name, to continue to identify as followers of Christ. The churches and congregation are even in that going in the way of Cain. As Cain went out from the presence of Jehovah and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Well, um, when we get together in our next study, we'll continue reading into the life of Cain. And it's interesting how God goes on to tell us about Cain and, and, and Cain's family and his descendants, the, the city they build, the work they do. And we wonder why. Why is God uh, bothering? Why is God using, um, of course, extremely important and valuable scripture space to record events in the life of Cain? And, well, you know, I, I kind of struggled with that. But I think we'll have um, some answers. I, I don't know if we'll have them all, but we'll have some answers as we continue on in our study of Genesis chapter 4. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.